I'm Ginny. And I'm Becky. And we are. And we're the Reverends. <laughs> Today, Becky and I are going to talk about The Wizard of Oz in preparation for The Wizard of Oz Sunday at St. John's Georgetown, which is this coming Sunday. So, last time you and I did a theme Sunday together, was it Moana? It was Moana. I have to say, Becky, I had not, the um, Wizard of Oz was decades in my rearview mirror. Uh, <laughs> so it took me a while to, you know, of course I had to watch the movie repeatedly to get back mm-hmm. up. And I have to say, I really, really struggled. You know, we do theme Sundays and have these conversations about movies, or books or whatever how you can find the stories of God in the stories that people already know from like other literature, because you and I well know that everything speaks of God, sings of God, teaches you about God from, from the Mm. beach, butterflies, fireflies to human relationships or the lilies of the field or um, Mm. movies. And I struggled because I realized that I had always assumed that the wizard was a God figure and I didn't like Mm. it. One reason this is hard. And one reason why I wanted to have a podcast about it episode about it is that I feel like wizard of Oz raises all, when you really think about it, it raises so many questions about is God real? How are prayers answered? Um, Is life meant to be just as she sings somewhere over the rainbow you know her aunt auntie m tells her to just go find a place where she can't get into trouble like is that (laughs) the life really we're meant to live like it really ends up raising so many really really important questions which of course i wasn't thinking about the last time i saw the movie and i really thought it was worth a real conversation together about some of these big questions and what they mean. Awesome. Like that whole thing of having the wizard step out from behind the curtain and the wizard is just a guy, Mm -hmm. I think is such an important moment in the story. You know, when people say they don't believe in an old man, God in the sky, well, neither do I. Um, But I felt like much of this story was a reaction against that. But I just say that knowing the movie and not the whole body of work. Yeah. So I've seen Wicked. I went through a Wicked phase where I listened to it nonstop for about a year. So I love that that's what a Wicked phase means for you. (laughs) (laughs) So I read that book and Stephen Schwartz is one of my favorite composers. So that was really cool. Um, And when I was a kid, I read the books, but when uh, it was a pandemic, And I was at home with a five-year-old. We read the first and second books together. So why, Becky, did you turn to The Wizard of Oz during the pandemic? Like with lots of other book series to choose from. I'm curious, why why Wizard for you? Oh, well, in a really funny way... Uh, the parish administrator at St. Thomas DuPont Circle gave me a beautiful leather-bound illustrated old set that he had when he was a kid. Oh, my gosh. And so we have these books, and they're gorgeous, and the illustrations are amazing. Um, so I had these beautiful books, which is always an incentive to read them, Right. And another general reason is that, like, I believe in the canon, (laughs) not just the Bible canon, but, like, I I firmly believe there is a Western canon, and I am working through it, and everything that I could possibly give my five-year-old an up on, I tried to do. So that's my really dorky reason for why we were reading The Wizard of Oz. Because I would not have thought of The Wizard of Oz. First of all, since The Wizard of Oz for me was just the movie, uh-huh. I would not have thought of The Wizard of Oz as a body of literature, being a part of sort of the Western literature canon. I That's really amazing and important, and I feel like I need to give it more attention. Hmm. Although I already um, noticed even from the movie that once you really 
which is so many things, right? Once you pay close attention to something, it turns out to be so much richer than you. Oh, yeah. Than you possibly think. Like a close reading is is its own thing of anything, especially scripture, but anything, really. Well, of people, of relationship. Mm -hmm. I mean, close attention is making something sacred. It's setting it Mm -hmm. apart. And it's and it's gazing on it with a curious eye and an interested eye rather than just assuming something, which I think clearly I have done. So tell me what you how did your five year old react? What did you discover in the the body of literature um, about the wizard? Uh, so let's just stick with the first book initially, because I think that'll be the most helpful the huge difference between what happens in the book and what happens in the movie is that in the book, after Dorothy lands in the land of Oz and talks to Glinda, Mm -hmm. Glinda gives her a kiss on the forehead. Oh my God. That's so biblical. It's so biblical. It gets even more biblical. So he, she gives her this kiss on hey, wait, the forehead. Hold on a sec. Hold on a sec. When we say this is biblical, in the book of Genesis, which of course is the beginning book in the Bible, one of the stories that everybody knows that's in the creation, there are two different creation narratives, but one of them is the story of the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. And when the humankind in uh, represented by Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden god gives them clothes and god blesses them Mm. they need that for their journey to fulfill their Mm. call so glinda kisses her she kisses her and even more than that glinda can't give her anything except for this kiss but the kiss is a permanent mark on her forehead oh my gosh a permanent mark on her forehead that everyone else can see, but Dorothy can't. Oh my God. It's just like baptism. Or it is. Like, yeah. It is. It's, it's just oh, like baptism. You are sealed and so, by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. You marked for good forever. Okay. And so what happens is throughout the, this doesn't happen at all in the movie because it's way too complicated, but in the book, Dorothy goes places and she is protected by the kiss. But it doesn't stop her from being lied to. Mm. And so when they finally get to the Wicked Witch of the West, the Wicked Witch of the West can't actually hurt Dorothy. There's nothing she can do to touch Dorothy. The only thing she can do is lie to her, and she does. Mm -hmm. And Dorothy is enslaved by these lies. Oh my God. It's so good. Like it's, it's, and so the reason I did a lot of thinking about this is because I was reading this book aloud to my five-year-old, then five-year-old, when the uh, January 6th insurrection happened. I wrestled with this hard because what are you going to say after this thing happens? Right. What do you say about what do you say about it? And so, but I was in the middle of reading this book and we were talking about baptism and the power of lies, the power of lies. And and here's the thing, like spoilers about Dorothy and the wicked witch, but in the end, she's Dorothy gets so angry with her, with the witch, with the witch. She doesn't even know she's like lying, but she's so angry with the witch that she stamps her foot and she just does the only thing she can do, which is just throw a bucket of water on her. It's the water that Dorothy was using to scrub the floor. And, but like eventually she remembers, Dorothy remembers who she is. Mm -hmm. And she comes to realize that there is this mark on her forehead. We can believe in this thing of goodness and being marked by goodness and being marked by the power of good who oh, right. we understand. And that, and that darkness cannot overcome that directly. Yeah. 
Yeah. It can lure you into forgetting who you are. It's actually a very Anglican understanding of evil. Right. Right. Like. Right. Because the movie presents a much more simplified, except as it turns out, it's not actually all that simple once you pay attention to it. But Mm -hmm. the idea that evil has you forget who you are and whose you are or forget that God is at work in the dark, that even that darkness is not dark to you and light is as bright, darkness is as light as the day, or as mm-hmm. if dark is bad and light is good. Like it's all God. God infuses all of it, but we forget it and we get scared. Mm-hmm. And that's when we stray off the path. That's when we imprison ourselves. Like one of the messages I think I want to take from Wizard of Oz, which is in the Wizard of Oz universe at least as presented in the movie, there's a good witch and a bad witch. And Glenda asks Dorothy when she lands in Oz, are you a good witch or a bad witch? (laughs) We yearn to to divide people into good or bad or purple or red. And, And really we're all purple. So let me talk about another thing that I, I think of as, as deceptive. Mm-hmm. It's just such a big theme, but it's so pervasive that you almost don't see it. Mm-hmm. But a whole framing device of the movie, again, because that's my only context is the movie. Sure. Is in the movie where we're still in sepia world, black and white world. So back in the real life. Um, Auntie M tells Dorothy, cause they're all trying to, you know, count the chickens and blah, blah, blah. And Dorothy falls off a fence into the pigsty and Auntie M says to her, why don't you go off and find a place where you can't get into any trouble? Mm-hmm. And that's where Dorothy leans up against the wagon wheel or whatever she's leaning up against and sings somewhere over the rainbow. Mm-hmm. Because she imagines a world where skies are blue and the dreams that you dare to dream really do come true. She imagines this magical place where the skies are blue. There are no storms. It's magical. Now, mm-hmm. we as grown-ups and you know, modern people, we look at this and, and then of course the, they had this great, vehicle in the movie which is the black and white world and then the world of color and the world of oz we can look at this and say oh haha that's so quaint that's so naive but you know what becky Hmm. most of us i think live in the hope or the expectation or just the yearning that life is actually like that and that when it's not when it's hard When there are storms, when you feel alone, when you suffer, when you're scared, that somehow this is wrong and we're not in the real world. Or and and part of the enormous lesson of this movie is that life is not the somewhere over the rainbow land. That life is not that that life is actually a journey that is going to bring you struggles and challenges and scary things, mm. hopefully not flying monkeys. Um, <laughs> but because like I've grown up, but um, I think that is one of the conceits of, of our modern lives is that we think we're past that. But the reality is so many of us yearn for that. And also so many of us, actually yearn for a world where God is a wizard Mm. who will magically answer our prayers and get us home or give us what we don't have. God, the cosmic vending machine. Yes. And I really think that, that those are two of the ways that, that, that deceit to, I mean, the the forces of evil are real and we know that because they're so hard to, they're powerful and they're hard to resist. But it's one of the sneaky ways that something gets distorted. Mm. Because when things don't go like that, then you say, oh my goodness, well, there's, something is wrong. Or, 
I didn't pray enough or well enough or right or uh, God isn't real. Yeah. Yep. You know, like there's there are entire bodies of Christianity, of course, that say if something goes wrong, if if you get divorced or you you end up with cancer or someone you love dies, you something's wrong with you or uh-huh. you didn't pray hard enough or the right way or God isn't real. God gave them great gifts and part of the evil is forgetting who you are or believing the lies, the stories. Mm -hmm. The scarecrow had brains all along, but somebody told him he didn't. Mm -hmm. And he's really so full of ideas for the entire story. And, and then of course, Tin Man of course has a heart and, and has friends and shares his heart when he thinks he doesn't have one. And the lion, even leaving the forest, when he's so scared, is such courage. Because mm-hmm. courage isn't not being afraid. Courage is doing something even when you're scared. Because the wizard doesn't solve their problems. Mm-mm. Although we can talk in a bit about what the wizard is like once he comes out from behind the curtain. But... Mm-hmm. I, I just spoilers, Jenny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, whoops. Oh, I'm assuming our listeners have already seen the movie. Oh, yeah. Whoops. Um. <laughs> well, anyway, I do think there are these big picture things here that are tricks. Like we, I started by talking about evil, but of course, then I started talking about all the things because I love to talk. Um, but these lies that are mm. so prevalent in the story that we like to think we're not that naive like Dorothy. But the truth is so many of us actually live with that yearning that there is a rainbow magical world where everything will be, the skies are always blue and the dreams that you dare to dream really do come true. Now it's not that I'm saying they won't come true or that the sky isn't often blue in the real world. It's not that simple. And you have to go on a journey to make your dreams happen. And they don't just happen to you like magic. I think that the movie, at least, and it sounds like the books, do raise these big existential crises and questions um, of, is God real? Who is God? Who are we in relationship to God? What responsibility do we have for making our dreams come true or creating a world where the skies are blue and not polluted or um, <laughs> where, where people can breathe clean air or where others can be safe and go on their journeys? And, and how does that happen? I just really think it raises all those questions. And so what do I think the answers are? <laughs> Yeah, Jenny, let's get some answers. (laughs) Well, one of the answers I came to was that was I've I've sort of alluded to it, that life actually requires a journey. Mm. Now, in the movie, it's follow the yellow brick road. And interestingly, there isn't just one yellow brick road like there when they get to like the place where the scarecrow is, there's all those kind of the corners. There's lots of different avenues. Oh, yeah. Um, I do think there's something really theologically sound about that. Um, I don't think there is only one path for people. I think that the path you take and commit to God can help you in it. And that one of the ways God works is not with magic, but with community. Mm. That they need each other. So, for example, when they fall asleep in the poppies, one thing is Glinda sends snow in the movie, but they also, the um, scarecrow and the tin man are not human. Or they're not... So they're able to try to wake them up, right? Mm -hmm. They need each other. And so one of the things I think is that 
that Dorothy's magical world is the world of sort of that childish ego. That that's how we imagine life will be. But in order to really grow into the full person we are as an adult, we have to go on these journeys and the outcome may not be the, the, it may not be what we expected, Mm. but that we actually make our journey. We make our dreams, we make things happen and we do it through other people. And that doesn't mean that God isn't at work. And I think a second thing is that the wizard is not God. Yes. Um, The wizard is a wisdom figure, actually, I think. Um, Although he's also corrupted, just like everybody corrupted. I shouldn't use that word. He's also human, just like everyone else. Complicated. Yes. (laughs) If he's afraid of the Wicked Witch of the West, he's probably also Uh afraid of being discovered as being just a real man. He also falls prey to because everyone thinks he's a wizard because he arrives in Oz in this hot air balloon from the other lands that people don't even know about. And he looks different from them. They assume he's a wizard and he ends up falling prey to their grandiose ideas about who he is and Mm -hmm. ends up leading him to create this whole ridiculous facade with the fire and the distorted voice and on all of that. And so what's something that's interesting is in Wicked, which is this retelling of a book that was like the re-understanding of this book, right? Um, Like flipping it around and telling the story from the Wicked Witch's perspective. In Wicked, Elphaba, which is the name of the Wicked Witch, has this relationship with the wizard that has to crash to the ground Mm. before she can finally understand who she is and what she has to do and who she's becoming and what her relationships are with other people because that's the whole thing like once she meets the wizard my whole life will change well Um, nothing's going to be the same and he doesn't have any of the answers but that's also so human that Real relationship, as opposed to the fantasy of a relationship, does Mm. not only break down all that fake stuff, but it will change you and not necessarily in the ways you expected. So looking then at the wizard, looking at the professor slash wizard with a more compassionate eye, when we got to the end... Once the wizard comes out from behind the curtain and he's his real self. Um, what's funny is I had asked everybody around me who hadn't seen the movie again in a while, what do you think about the wizard? And the people that I spoke with were all like, oh, he's just a charlatan and he's terrible and he doesn't really do anything for them and blah, blah, blah. And I sort of thought, yeah. but now I was approaching it with a bit more compassion because I was looking at him as well. That was actually wise. Once the wizard comes out from behind the curtain at the end, he is actually a really wise figure. Once the pretense is gone and uh, his real self, uh-huh. he's very wise. He tells them, you already had within you what you were looking for. And he says to the lion, you were already courageous but he gives him a medal to remind him. He gives him a tangible thing for when you forget this. Here is your a sacrament. Yes. <laughs> like the kiss. Uh-huh. It's Here an, is a an outward sign of an, in, an inward. Exactly. And he yep. says to the scarecrow, you were already smart, but here is this diploma. <laughs> and it will show the outside world, but also you, because you will forget, because we do. Mm-hmm. Because Scarecrow had already let the lies tell him he didn't have have a brain. And Lion had already been get, scare themselves to death. They start saying lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. And the lion himself, himself is all terrified by that. And, <laughs> and, the, and the wizard gives him the medal, but tells him you already were wise. 
and points out to the tin man, the tin man already had a heart because he loved. He had committed himself to these friends. And he does say something to the tin man, which drives me absolutely crazy. He says, remember. So I hate this. I hate that he draws attention to it. I had to write it down because I couldn't believe it. Remember, a heart is not judged by how much you love, but by how much you are loved by others, which is absolutely 100% wrong. Um, (laughs) a A heart is judged as if God judges hearts. God doesn't judge hearts. But you can tell your heart is warm and alive and love and and full by how much you love. You can't control how much people love you. You just can't. But but I do see him as a wisdom character there. And he's very kind and very once once he can be his authentic self, he's wise. And I think this also goes back to then your part about about Elphaba just wants to figure this out. And you can't, you can't really get to the truth until you can be true to one another. So anyway, that's my take on the wizard. He is not God. He bought into a narrative that told him he was a big fat deal, which I think is actually here in Washington. Super dangerous. Super dangerous, super compelling, super temptation-y. Uh-huh. Uh, you get told that you're smarter and better than everyone else and you begin to believe it and that is so dangerous and that is also part of what the wizard represents is like on the scarecrow is told he's not smart so that's one end of the extreme and the wizard is the other you are a wizard and and it's not true now so so then still is the question how does dorothy get home how does her prayer get answered Frankly, Becky, I'd love to hear what you think about this, because I really struggle. In the in the book, I mean, in the movie, Glinda comes in her bubble and says this thing about, you know, you always had it within you, and it's the ruby slippers, you know. She taps yeah. her slippers together. Um, you know, she has to have, I mean, I can speak metaphorically, you know, she has to have gone through this journey. She discovers that she also has all this leadership in her she she also can stand can withstand storms. She doesn't need to live in this magical place. Um, that there's even struggle in this magical place. All of that, but then still, how does she get home? She gets home by magic. I don't know how to deal with that. <laughs> I mean, she tells her. Uh, Glinda says, "You always could have gotten home. You just have to tap your shoes together three times." Yeah, but, but they're magic shoes. Like I don't I don't really know. I don't really know. Okay, so I'm going to spin out a little bit here just while we're thinking about it. But the reason that they needed to take the hot air balloon home was because it was over an incrossable desert. No one and nothing can cross through the desert and make it out alive. Which is how he got in. And Which nobody, is how he got it because he came in over, and that's why Dorothy's house landed on the witch. She flew over it because of the tornado. Which is an interesting thing in and of itself, too. Like, what does a tornado signify in the story? What is it like? What is that that awful thing that happens that pushes us to be in a totally different place? Different place. Where yeah. you actually will find yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and frankly. Once you have been changed, you can't go back to what was. Mm -hmm. You're different. Yep. So so that didn't actually spin off in a different direction. Pardon the pun there. Um, (laughs) But so let's talk about about Becky getting home. Let's talk about Dorothy getting home. (laughs) Let's just say the movie is just the opening scene of the rest of Dorothy's life and what I presume, what I prefer to think of as Dorothy having been changed by her journey. But what do you mm-hmm. think about either how Dorothy gets home or what that symbolizes or what what it means for her when she gets home? Yeah, I mean, first of all, like, in it makes Glinda a complicating character, Right. Because, like, why did she just say that at the beginning? (laughs) 
<laughs> I like what is going on? Like why you couldn't have mentioned that? You couldn't have mentioned that? It does so like let but let's imagine that she couldn't have. Okay, so like let's give Glinda the benefit of the doubt. And there was something about Dorothy that had to change before she could use the magic in the shoes. Or I just think there's a possibility that Glenda is just a complicated character. Because, mm-hmm. again, Glenda wants to say, when, when Dorothy arrives in Oz, Glenda and Glenda shows up, Glenda says, are you a good witch or a bad witch? Because to Glenda, people are one or the other. Mm-hmm. People are complicated. I mean, even the wizard, complicated. People mm-hmm. are not just one thing or the other. So maybe Glenda had her own agenda too. Maybe not just giving her the benefit of the doubt, but maybe Glenda didn't really trust Dorothy or didn't or wanted the Wicked Witch of the West gone. Or mm-hmm. what does it mean for Dorothy to go home? Again, if that, you know, if we're thinking about this as the big sort of journey story, what does she learn? I mean, thinking about the shoes and Dorothy, something that comes to mind is, I mean, one of the themes is you carry home with you. Right. Right. Like, Not you carry something home with you. You carry home with you wherever you go. Yes. Well, that works, too, because the characters are all these people from home. All the people from home. And they're all the people who are just returning to what's already true. Right. Oh, right. Right. Because they aren't transformed. Scarecrow. I mean, they are transformed by their renewed confidence and they now have a sacrament to show them that they really are smart, caring. um, (laughs) But yeah, they are just who they always were. They're not transformed, except that now they remember who they are. And the wizard is transformed in that he has now come out from behind the curtain. But mm-hmm. again, just, just, so this is they becoming more of who they are. They are just becoming more fully who they are. Why does And Dorothy, what is home? Why does Dorothy need shoes, though? Well, it needs to be a plot device. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Well, in the book, well, another thing in the book um, is that the witch wants the shoes. Like, but that's not what protects Dorothy in the book. What protects Dorothy in the book is the kiss. Right. And they use the shoes instead because when the witch reaches for the shoes in the movie, it, she, there are sparks and she can't touch her. Yeah. Um, but they but that's as close as they get to this whole kiss thing. Yeah. But you know, let's think going back to the Bible for a minute. Walking a mile in someone's shoes, like hmm. is there a reason? Again, if if Frank Baum used these metaphors like the kiss, it's too biblical for him not to have known what he was doing. Yeah. I wonder if the shoes could have been a metaphor for she had to walk in these other shoes to discover something new. Yeah. Which is what compassion is, right? Right. Walking. Like that's all It's just putting yourself and allowing yourself to feel what that other person might be feeling. Wow, Becky, because you know, in the sepia world, Dorothy is only concerned about herself and she's trying to get everybody to listen to her. Auntie M, Uncle Frank, or whatever his name is. Uh-huh. Feel kind of bad for him. Um, and the farmhands and all she cares about. And they are trying really hard to do their farm work. And she only cares about herself. Mm-hmm. In Oz she suddenly cares about the scarecrow and what he needs and decides to try to help him get what he needs. And then the tin man and then the lion. Mm. She does walk in someone else's shoes. 
she does discover compassion. She, maybe there really is something to that, Becky, that it is about compassion, because that is a way that at least we don't know yet whether she carries that back with her into her life. We don't know that from the movie. But in in Oz, at least, she has grown from being very self-centered. Though she Mm -hmm. still is very much about pressing her need, I want to get home. But now it's not the only need she cares about. And it's because she's worried about Auntie M. Right. That's one. Right. 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 That's one of the reasons she wants to get home. Uh huh. Is because because of what the proto wizard, the the professor. Right. Oh, I love that in the proto wizard. I love that. The proto wizard. (laughs) I'm just like the professor slash wizard. But yes, the proto wizard has told her she needs to go home and, and see what's happening with Auntie M. Maybe this really is one of those things, Becky, where the creative story actually is much deeper and has many more levels than we initially see. Because I really couldn't get... Okay, let's do... So one of the things we usually do in the irreverence is we do what's called a Lectio Divina, which is an ancient spiritual practice called Lectio, meaning reading, and Divina, meaning divine, sacred reading. It's a sacred reading practice where you read a little bit of scripture, and then there are some different steps, but we can work on the steps. But I had picked two different scriptures to go with the this story. And the first one is one, one we're going to do, Electio Divina, you and I. Um, and it's a scripture that people don't hear often. And I thought it matches so well that this would be a really good one for us to unpack a bit today. So it is Ecclesiastes 4 verses 9 to 12. And I'm going to read it from the Message Bible. And um, I'll read it and then we'll start with your um, sort of response to it, like what speaks to you. We'll sort of go through the steps um, together. Okay. You ready for me to read it? Okay. Yes. Let's go. All right. It's better to have a partner than to go it alone. Share the work, share the wealth. Mm -hmm. And if one falls down, the other helps. But if there's no one to help, it's tough. Two in a bed warm each other. Alone, you may shiver all night. By yourself, you're unprotected. With a friend, you can face the worst. Mm. Can you round up a third? If so, a three-stranded rope isn't easily snapped. So what, like, first... Okay, but first, before anything, good job. That's a great reading for this. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, thank you, because... One way to go with this is you can't do this alone. And even though the Bible is sort of just pervaded with that, trying to find a scripture that captures it. And I think this one, I love using this and thank you because it's not one most people will have heard. So what, one of the first steps in Lectio Divina is what's something that just bubbles up to you? Uh, for me, it's the temptation to go it alone. Like that phrase was especially like go it alone. Like we think that it's a temptation because like, and, and usually it's, it's a temptation because it's something that feels like it should be good, but then it turns out not to be right. Yeah. Something about like, sometimes we go it alone because we don't want to bring somebody else into the hurt or whatever. But it never really works. It never really works. Yeah. I also think, I think that it's a temptation to go it alone too, because our culture, especially American culture, is such, such crap about Mm -hmm. visualism and stuff. Um, It's such a temptation and it's just false. Like 
Mm. I mean, I like this line that that also really speaks to it, that two in a bed warm each other alone. You may shiver all night, you know, and this is not about marriage. This is about friendship. It's, it's that you, you can prop each other up. You can be there for each other. And if, if you're alone, you might end up shivering. Like alone has its darkness alone. It doesn't have to aloneness. Isn't like solitude is not what we're solitude talking Solitude is the positive. Yeah. yeah. Um, but thinking you can go it alone and, and then being all alone when, when it gets cold or when your aloneness has tipped over into barriers that you put up to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very cold. And, and frankly, that's another thing of even like billionaires end up lonely and miserable mm-hmm. that, that it's not your money that will keep you company. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, the phrase that stood out was with a friend, you can face the worst. Mm. I mean, and even, and something I just want to say is that sometimes that friend doesn't even need to like technically be there. Just knowing knowing. that that person loves you and supports you and is in it with you and everything else is enough to turn the whole situation. Yeah, to face it. That is part of what a message I hope we'll be able to share this Sunday is that even when you can't see God, Mm. God is with you. But, But even... You know, one of the things in pastoral care is that we often think, or people think, but sometimes it's also a temptation for us, that we can go to somebody's bedside and have just the right magical words, right? Hmm. Yes. It's but so tempting. Yeah. First of all, there are no magical words to make cancer go away, right? Yeah. If there were, we'd be done. Yeah. Yes. But also, for people, including myself, who have been in really suffering, tragic, heartbreaking places. It's not the words. It's somebody being willing to be with you. And again, to your point, whether they're actually present with you in the room or not, somebody who's not going to try to just polish it up and make it better and tell you, oh, it's not so bad, or oh, here's what you need to do. Uh But somebody who can be with you to be like, yeah, this sucks so bad. I'm not going anywhere. Our, um, so at the last place I was at, I had a colleague who's full-time, she was a, a wonderful, amazing laywoman whose full-time job was pastoral care. Oh. And she and I had many conversations about what changes the conversation is when she just acknowledges that this is hard. Yep, yep. Because so much of what we do with others when they're suffering is try to make the suffering go away. Mm -hmm. It'll be okay. You'll get through this. um, Or here's what you need to do. Or even just here's a tissue. um, Or have you seen your therapist? Um, (laughs) <laughs> and it's not like those things are damaging, but, no. but often I think what, what another hurting soul really needs is somebody who's willing to, to just make space for you to be miserable or for you to not know what's next or, and, and that is in my best moments as a priest, when I can help people say God is in this suffering with you God weeps God is God knows what it's like to lose a child Mm. God if we believe Jesus was God God knows what it's like to be hungry to not know where they're gonna sleep you know these 
God knows this and that matters. And what makes our expression of faith different is the idea that God breathed into us and walked in the cool of the garden and kissed our brow. And then if we're Christians came to live as one of us and that is profound. And so this line with a friend, you can face the worst is just true on every profound level. Okay. So we're going to skip, we've already done like a deep dive, not just, Uh but a deep dive. So let's look at the third step, which is what does this call you to do differently? What does this scripture call you? What kind of transformation does this scripture call for you? I mean, this is going to sound so obvious, but to let other people help me, Mm. you know, that is so hard when you're like a competent, capable person, right? (laughs) That doesn't sound obvious. That sounds hard. It's really, it's really hard. Um, But the answer is right here. And something I was thinking of when you were talking about being cold, I was thinking about the inverse, uh-huh. which is how two people's heat is more generative. Uh. Like it's not that it, it actually makes more heat. Right. Uh. Because, right. So like, maybe this is about allowing that extra heat to happen. Well, because that's when you can really, it's generative. And then mm-hmm. look at that last line, Becky. Can you round up a third? Yeah. A three-stranded rope isn't easily snapped. That actually invites me to enlarge the circle bigger. Mm -hmm. This is to your point, which I hadn't thought of, that it's not just that a second person will keep you warm and keep you from dying. It's, It's that's where the magic is. That's where the energy is. And then if you can go even bigger, a three-stranded rope can withstand anything. Uh Like that is real power. So I guess for me, I'm going to try to look for generative opportunities to bring more people in. Uh Because I think it's a real temptation for me to try to go it alone. Thank you for that. That's really powerful. Thank you for that. So we would usually end uh, an episode of The Irreverence with blessings. Who would you want to bless from this? Because, of course, it's not just about Dorothy Gale and her ragtag group of friends. It's about <laughs> So we're talking about a two-person relation to, relationship is generative. And we're talking about a third one is even better. Uh, But also throughout the story, we've also heard over and over again, like, God is with you. God has been with Dorothy. Like, the the mark has been on her forehead. The shoes have been on her feet. Uh, There's a real way that we can never be alone if we would open ourselves up to not being alone. <laughs> right. To seeing what yeah. is around us or to seeing God as present, even in the ways that we don't expect, like we expect a wizard and what we get is God. Mm-hmm. My blessing is that we, we may be able to truly see what is so? I feel like I want to bless the Wicked Witch. Hmm. She's labeled as wicked and everybody's scared of her. And I reject that. I reject that people are either wicked or good. There is more to her. And so my blessing is for anyone who's labeled, especially if they get labeled as something bad or scary that they have the courage and companions 
on their journey to break out of that label and be their true selves and not let other people's view of them color them or put them in boxes. But she's just so obviously labeled and there's such, you know, they want her killed. It's tragic and she's a tragic character and she's just so much more than that. So that's my blessing. Hmm. I mean, and that's another one. We are all more than we think we are. Yeah. Yeah, we're much more than we appear. And as we've said, the person who we really are is where the magic can happen and where the real wisdom, you know, for the wizard, for example, where his real wisdom shines and, and where real relationship is possible and transformation is in being our real full selves. So everybody really shakes off, except we don't know how Dorothy carries this back to the sepia world, but I'm willing to believe. I want to believe. I'm an optimist. Oh, no, but we, we do. We do. And you were there and you were there. And she yeah. wakes up with a totally different relationship with those people. Yes. I think. Yes. It's such a short scene. But I trust you, Becky. <laughs> and... I want to believe that. And she does say, and you were there and you were there. Um, and there's no place like home because before she wanted to go to the magical world. <laughs> uh, well, Becky, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing this with me. Thank you for unpacking this wonderful story and making it come alive and helping us find the stories of God in the stories that people know. Cause really the stories of God are everywhere. As you said in your blessing, if we could just see. Thanks for having me. It's always so fun. Oh, well, the irreverence will be coming back uh, in the fall. And um, thanks, everybody. See you next time. And why we call them slippers? They're not slippers, they're pumps. <laughs> it's in the movie. They're red pumps. Why aren't they called red pumps? Um, 